Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week, we are talking about Body Parts from 1991 and Rabid from 1977. Let me double check. 77. Awesome. We've done zero research, and I am very excited to tell you everything I know about this movie. I researched all through dinner, John, and that Wikipedia page was not very long. It's safe to assume you're an expert. I, instead, went down like a Wikipedia hole of body horror movies, including one called The Iron Man, where somebody accidentally kills a guy who's in love with metal and slowly becomes metal himself and takes over Tokyo. It's weird. It's um, the remake to I Know What You Did Last Summer, but instead of leaving people notes, he leaves them shards of phallic metal. <laughs> because all of these movies descend into something phallic. Don't you realize that? It's very weird. All of the body horror movies? All of them. All of them. All of them. <laughs> even, even body parts? Sure. Okay, because I feel like I can poke a hole in your statement with this episode. Let's get into it. <laughs> what? We just started. Shouldn't we talk about, you know, like, why we decided upon these films? Perhaps because we went to a thrift store and Body Parts was $3, and we were like, yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. We showed up at this little horror shop in a flea market. Did not know they had VHS tapes, but holy shit, when we saw them, we're taking them all home. 
I have such regrets, though. We walked away. No, we didn't. Don't tell people, because if they get there before we get there, oh. it might be gone. Uh, okay, well, there's <laughs> one that I really want <laughs> that but I didn't grab. All the tapes were three bucks, which, yeah, you're like, three dollars for VHS now. Some of them were worth way more than that, and some of them were worth less than that. But it all evened out. It was great. We bought a bunch. That's going to be a new problem of mine, because with eBay, at the very least... Uh, shipping. I, you get to shipping, you're like, fuck this. Exactly. That's the problem, right? <laughs> Honestly, sometimes like shipping's reasonable. I don't want to fucking wait. I want this now. I want an impulse purchase, and that's exactly what I'm going to get at that flea market. And I'm just going to say goodbye to all my money there. It's <laughs> a real reason why Canadians are good with money. It's because shipping here for anything <laughs> is ridiculous. Oh, I would like to buy 12 more pins. Oh, shipping is $46 for a $10 pin. No, thank you. Fucking shipping. But... We got body parts in our VHS haul. Hell yeah, we did. And we watched it the other night without any kind of intentions for doing it on the podcast. And I put it to Twitter and I was like, yo, pitch me your body horrors. That will match with this body horror that I just watched and is fresh in my brain. And Twitter delivered. So thank you to those of you who recommended Rabid to pair with body parts because it was a popular choice. It came up a few times. So we paired the two. I still think Idle Hands would have been a good double feature. But in more ways than one, Rabid is like a pair parallel film yeah we, we needed something a little more classic and a little less humor body parts don't get me wrong is a pretty funny movie but i don't think intentionally like idle hands is. we'll get to idle hands idle hands will happen so if you're like no idle hands i want to hear them talk about it it'll happen sooner or later so if you haven't seen body parts i highly recommend you do before you get into this podcast because it is totally worth the watch you follow a psychologist who gets in a car accident and receives a full arm transplant <laughs> only the arm he receives is that of a serial murderer and it's making him do bad things well sort of yeah and then shit happens so that's that movie if you're if you haven't seen it and you don't have the time or the resources i'm sure you've seen tree as a horror this is exactly like homer's evil toupee from snake yeah that's the cliff notes essentially <laughs> done you know everything you need to know before getting into this movie and rabid is one of david cronenberg's earliest films it is kind of the same movie we follow, <laughs> we follow a girl who gets in a motorcycle accident and gets a experimental skin graft which causes her to have some sort of uh stinger in genetic her, mutation some very phallic stinger yeah, in, her, <laughs> in her armpit and she goes on a murderous rampage and that's basically that movie oh it's a real tragedy yeah Rabid is currently on Shudder, so if you have Shudder, the streaming service, you can catch that real easy. Uh, body, body parts. parts hopefully you're going to find a VHS at a thrift store in the middle of nowhere. Ah, uh, sorry. There's yeah. <laughs> a $5 DVD on Amazon somewhere. Yeah, probably. Check the Walmart bin. It's got Jeff Fahey, guys. You will not regret that purchase. I don't think Jeff Fahey is, like, the highlight of that movie. Not really. <laughs> I don't know what the highlight of that movie is. Probably that final car scene. We'll get into it. <laughs> it's the greatest car chase, yeah. But before we get into the films of this week, what's keeping you creepy this week, John? Well, as you all know, they started filming Halloween recently in Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, every neighborhood that they film a movie in is a neighborhood somebody lives in. And we are starting to see photos of the set decorations and the exteriors of some of the houses they're shooting on pop up on Facebook. We quickly put together an article. If you'd like to see some of those photos that are appearing on social media and get an idea of what Halloween's gonna look like, head over to nofspodcast.com and check out that article. But, you know, be warned, 
the spoiler territory. You're going to see what the sets look like. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of really hamming the spoilers up in the tagging at the beginning of the post, just for people who don't want any spoilers and want the film to be entirely a surprise. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we didn't post any of the more spoilery images that are on the internet right now, because I know there's a really, it's far distance shot of Nick Castle in the Mike uh, Myers costume, and yeah, just based that. on what we've heard from people who actually live around the area is that they weren't permitting people to take photos of actors in costume and stuff <laughs> and so somebody kind of was able to capture that image but didn't necessarily have permission to so we didn't post anything on the site that has people in costume it's just building exteriors halloween decorations stuff of the street so i mean if you want some teasers as to what it's going to look like yeah totally go check it out yeah some of the posts that i found photos on were the people that posted them were explaining plot points, like what they were filming and what Michael Myers was doing. And I know, I was very unhappy. I was like, please yeah. don't tell me what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to know how action plays out in that movie. I don't want to know about any anything at all other than, you know, maybe the, the occasional thing that you would see driving by. Like yeah. we, we took photos of the Niebold house when they were filming it near us for it, but you could just walk up and look at it. It wasn't, it wasn't restricted. We didn't have to bribe anybody to let <laughs> us get close. So it was kind of free to the public to to a degree. Yeah, and seeing some jack-o'-lanterns on a porch is going to get me pumped. I don't even... Oh, yeah. I say now that I'm probably not going to watch the trailer, but I'm probably going to because everybody's going to be talking about it when it oh. lands. I typically don't watch trailers because I like to be completely surprised. Do you want to do, do a handshake right now? We won't watch a single trailer? We're like, going to have you... to write articles on it, John. I don't have to watch the trailer <laughs> to talk about how hype it's going to be. Like... <laughs> I feel like that synopsis better be long. <laughs> We also had a bit of a movie marathon this weekend. We have been on a bit of a VHS kick. We finally got our VHS player back working, so mm -hmm. we've been thrifting like crazy. And recently picked up Prom Night 2, Mary, Hello, Mary Lou, mm -hmm. and Prom Night 3. Wait, what is Prom I think it's called Last Kiss. Last Kiss. I don't know why. It looks like a teen pulp novel, the cover of Last Kiss. It looks great. Yeah. And honestly, not, not great. Uh, no, the, not great. The, the entire movie, not great. It had its moments. It was very stylized and fun. I especially like when she impaled the teacher with two ice cream cones. I, I like that we went to this sort of other world that Mary Lou is inhabiting. It's a lot like the further of the prom night universe. <laughs> and it's brilliant because they use one of the lines from the sequel. It's not, it's not who takes you to prom, it's who you leave with. Ooh, she sucks into really that other line. word. Oh, it's a great line. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird that this is a direct sequel to the second one, but the first, first one, one is completely different than any of. Yeah, completely disassociated. Not anything to do with with Mary Lou with fifties prom. It's, Not at all. No, and I'll say right now, Canadian indie film, and <laughs> I think it's better than the first one. Hello, Mary Lou. Yeah, I. It's funner. It's, it I, is more fun than the first one, I will agree. Doesn't beat that dance number with Jamie Lee Curtis at the end of Oh Prom my Night god, Dose, right? I fucking love that. She's like a fucking disco, disco queen. Fever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a bad slasher, but it's perfect. <laughs> it's just a perfect bad slasher. It's Canucksploitation at its best. <gasps> That's great, Canucksploitation. Other than that, I want to give a big shout out to our most recent patron, Isabel. Thank you so much for your monthly pledge. Isabel. I don't really have any plans of murdering a thousand people and going to jail for the rest of my life. But if I do, and of course, you're in a horrific car accident and in need of life-saving limb surgery, you can totally have my arm. 
Just know that it's haunted with my memories, and occasionally you will see it reach toward a bowl of chips or a bag of candy, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's going in your mouth. Like, it's just the, that hand, it, all it does is snack, and it's got a <laughs> lust for salty treats. Your version of the Idle Hand movie is just binge eating. Oh, yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're, you're doomed to that fate. Thank you again for your pledge. This show would be a lot harder to do without <laughs> your support. I, I miss my tagline. <laughs> You've taken it away from me and I can't have it you back. You can say it. The show would be a nightmare without you, Isabel. And before we send you to the rest of the episode, we do have a bit of an announcement this week. We are changing up our format. So we will now be releasing episodes every other Thursday rather than every Thursday. And... I can hear you guys groaning from there. <laughs> yeah. This was a really hard decision to make. I love doing this podcast. I love seeing your reactions on social media and hearing that you en like actually enjoy listening to us and the nonsense that we put out constantly. But it takes up a large portion of our lives. That we sounds so bad. <laughs> I, I, I know. Like, but... You know, 2017 was a really big year for us. Uh, we have a lot planned for 2018, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm being a little vague right now, but it's going to require a lot more of our time and attention to expand Nightmare on Film Street to what we want it to be. Yeah, this isn't about stepping back from the podcast at all. We're trying to free up some of our time to focus on the bigger projects that we have planned we want to keep doing nightmare and we want nightmare to be an entity of its own and right now we're growing without the resources to do that and mm -hmm. the biggest resource we have for nightmare is time it's just john and i and our team of volunteers and you guys helping us spreading the word on social media and through your friends and mm -hmm. anybody you know that loves horror so we're gonna keep on making content on the website on social media the podcast and we're going to do it better. The podcast may be only every other week, but we're going to be putting out more Patreon episodes. We're going to be doing the Drive Home from the Drive-Ins exclusively for our Patreon supporters to thank you guys for supporting us. We're still going to do little top-of-the-show reviews of movies that are in the theater, so you won't be without them. You'll get our impressions. But if you want a full, you know, hour talk about what we thought of the movie, you can find them on Patreon. We really just, we don't want this podcast to be something that we rush. We want to be able to take the time to make sure every episode is the best episode that we could put out. Yeah, and like us, fun and not rehearsed and conversational. And we go on tangents and we talk about silly stuff. And we're at a point now where we're so busy making sure the website has content and social media has content and the podcast is ready to go that there is literally no time for anything else and 2018 is going to be a big year for us we're going to be going to conventions and festivals just like last year and we have a whole lot to do with in yeah. regards to that and we're still rocking day jobs and as as much as this is something that um We've been holding off uh, doing for as long as we possibly can. I, I am looking forward to it because I know that it means that you will have better content every other week than if we were just to put out an episode that we really rushed to get out to you every Thursday. Yeah, so the next episode will be the following Thursday. And we will be giving you the movies in advance that we're going to be talking about, which will give you time to seek them out and watch them yourselves before the show, so you can better understand... Uh... We'll all be on the same page. Yeah, we'll all be on the same page at this point, finally, right? But when you tune in from two weeks from now on the next episode of Nightmare on Film Street, we are going to be talking about 
Reanimator, and Death Becomes Her. This was a match made in the afterlife. Um, <laughs> it was completely accidental, too. So, right? Uh, perfect pairing on our part. It was the wine and cheese of horror movies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely one of my favorite uh, 80s movies. And my one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So it's going to be good, and it's a perfect movie marathon pairing if you have a night free to watch both. Mm -hmm. They go so well together, surprisingly. It, it's such a weird fit. Death Becomes Her was just released recently on Blu-ray through Scream Factory, and Arrow has an incredible 4K restoration of Reanimator that you absolutely have to pick up. It's got an additional integral cut of the film that, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't necessarily need to watch, but is very interesting, uh, and comes with a full graphic novel adaptation of the entire movie but enough of our news let's get into this week's episode so body parts from 1992 one Damn. <laughs> body parts take two from no we're keeping the first one <laughs> bill there's nothing to worry about everything's going to be just fine <laughs> You lost your arm in a car accident yesterday. We've transplanted another arm for you. You put a killer's arm onto my body and you didn't tell me. That arm can't do anything you don't want it to. How do you know that? Where does evil live? Does it live in the soul? In the mind? Maybe it lives in the flesh. Maybe you got some kind of demon inside of you these days. Why doesn't anybody want to ask any questions about these operations? I hit my kid. I tried to strangle my wife. I have nightmares every night. I want this fireball! Currently sitting at a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. The D. With the D. Yeah, it still screws me up. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm just glad there's enough people to create, like, an aggregated rating. You ever go to a movie that you're like, oh, this movie's great, I wonder what everybody else thought of it, and you realize no one's seen it? I had that problem actually researching the source material for this movie, because it's based on a book mm -hmm. from 1965 called Choice Cuts. Choice Cuts, that's right. Which is an amazing title. Kind of like it more than Body Parts, but... It sounds like a different movie. I wasn't excited because I've read it. I just remember seeing it in the in the credits. The book was originally published in French, and I couldn't find a lot of information on it and its plot. So I don't know how close this film is to the book it's based on. Huh. It's probably a book that some producer grabbed in an airplane, or in oh. an airport right before getting on a plane, which is like, oh, this fucking book's crazy. We gotta do this. Yeah, I was trying to find out more. I went on Goodreads, and there were a bunch of reviews for the novel, but Nobody the really details were, it. like, so sparse. So, yeah, I had a really hard time. I was like, for a book to spawn a film, typically, at least in modern days, it has to be a pretty viral book. It needs to be pretty notably amazing or notably popular. Yeah, it's like going to be like some pulp book that you just find in the back of a drugstore or something. I'm trying to think about places where you buy shitty books, and I can't think of it. The dollar store? Either way, it inspired this film, and this film is insane. It was such a pleasant surprise. I'm going to give up my cards right away, like I normally do. I had so much fun watching it. 
I didn't know anything about it putting it on, just the back cover, obviously, which I didn't read. So I'm that's, <laughs> that's totally okay. exaggerated. Actually, so this is a great question. You're the one that pulled it out. You're like, oh my God, look at this. Tell me all about that cover. Exactly like what went through your mind when you saw it. And you're like, this is why we need to get this movie. Well, it had the green horror sticker on it. And it was a clamshell <laughs> case. And I'm quite partial to clamshells. So we bought it. Okay. That's really it. <laughs> I feel real confident about all the other movies we purchased. Yeah, I got another one called premonition or something and it had something a, like that it had another silly cover but it was clamshell and it had the horror sticker and it had like the vhs rental store stamp on it and yeah. i was like yes i need this that is pretty cool look at that frosty snot guard <laughs> john hates when i call them snot guards but that's what they are mm, it's just gross I don't like I don't like to think about the guy at the VHS store or the girl uh, just hitting the Windex on the VHS tape and cleaning it, and then just putting it back on the shelf, and little me going, "This one looks great." You think great. they indexed it only if they got one that had like Cheeto fingers all over it? <laughs> we got to talk about this movie. We're completely like dancing around the film. Got it. Jeff Fahey, he's playing Bill. He's a is he a criminal psychiatrist? I don't know what he is. He's he's he a psychiatrist. Crazy murderers. Yeah, he's... <laughs> that, that's something psychologist, but dealing with murderers. Sometimes. Because <laughs> sometimes he's a professor. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that he was teaching a class, that's right. And it's also, spoiler alert, the same school that the Black Christmas Girls go to. <laughs> that's based on an assumption. Uh, it's a... I saw that movie two weeks ago, and I saw this movie a week ago, and it's the same damn arch, John. And the, the only filming location listed is Toronto. Sorry, carry on your synopsis. We know so little about what the fuck he does. All we really know is that he calls the people he talks to in these rooms patients. We know that much. Uh, and at some point, there was a microphone between him and a guy where he's like, tell me how it makes you feel. Well, and he's got this big monologue at the beginning about how he wants to, like, his one goal in life is to cure one crazy evil dude because evil is something that you can cure or something. He just wants to prove that. That's what I'm thinking, right? And that's right? the yeah. big theme of the movie, you would think. No, it's not. No, not at all. no, it sure isn't. No, because <laughs> as soon as things start to go south a little bit for him, rather than going, I need to get to the bottom of this, he goes, we need to kill it with fire <laughs> right now. Fire and shotguns. On his way to the office, he's dictating his entire day's schedule to his secretary, who I'm so glad she never got that tape. Secretary? Oh, I thought he was just talking to the tape. You think it was himself? Uh, I, yeah. I thought he was talking to his secretary. I was like, hey, can can you leave a note on my desk really big? Pick up garbage bags. Big smile, right? So we know he's a good dad <laughs> and a provider. Uh, he hates his son, by the way. <laughs> I think he Did hates... Did you get that weird vibe from that all those goodbye to his children in the morning scenes? And then just like a smack on the head to he his son. He kisses his daughter on the mouth twice. And then, yeah, just like fucking ruffles his son's hair and just... <laughs> I think at first he ignores him. He just steals a piece of toast from his plate. Like the most stereotypical, I'm late for work, I gotta go. Oh, a mug at the door? Thanks. This'll fit in my fucking cup holder. <laughs> It'll be great when I break fast and go through the windshield. I'll burn myself <laughs> with coffee first. So he's dictating into this cassette tape. Like everything that needs to be done today. Everything he can't possibly forget. And we see that the the, the car ahead of him has a little wobbly wheel. I thought it was his car the whole time. And then it really? wasn't. Oh, uh, you, you thought he was just looking off into I'm the like, distance. He's a really unobservant driver. If he doesn't realize his car is like wobbling the fuck out. Well, regardless of whether it's his car or not, that go that guy ahead of him is definitely just drunk at the wheel or asleep because it's flying around inside. What's the wheel bearing? I don't know anything the about wheel cars. Wheel well? Wheel well? Is that yeah? Uh, that's what. I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> the tire flies off. He runs into that guy. Uh, fucking... He flies through the windshield. Kablam. Okay, sure. Yeah, some more stuff happens, but I, I, I'm breaking this down like Kablam. Final Destination style. Yeah. Kablam. Kablam. But don't worry, no big deal. Doctor comes to his wife. We can save his arm. We have the technology. Kinda. And she runs at her with a waiver and is like, you need to sign this right now. She's like, can we consult my husband? And the, the doctor is like, Most no, you cannot. <laughs> so then we're in surgery. Limb sparing surgery. This is literally, this is my favorite part of the entire movie. I'm saying it right now. I'm putting a pin on it. There is nothing better in this movie than this scene. This scene is weird because they, instead of filming this interestingly, just changed the aspect ratio <laughs> after the fact. What are you talking about? It floats around a little bit. Kind of like his drunk little head. Hard to watch because the screen is pinched but we're in an operating room dr webb this crazy doctor who's sparing his limb by doing the transplant has another patient in the operating room oh by the way which is lined with military men in scrubs in full like military garb with their guns and shit oh yeah it's the it's the best (laughs) and there's some like high-tech computer system from 1987 some guy who's I assume he's alive at this point and then we they never see his face though they oh. execute him and then she cuts his head off and then limb saving surgery <laughs> so weird that's the first thing that they do and the computer's updating as though it's it's getting real time info it's <laughs> Got a list of everything that needs to be cut cut off, and after she takes off his head, it, it just disappears from the skin. <laughs> and so Jeff Fahey, Bill, is a little bit conscious at this point, and he sees all of this. He's like, what's happening? The anesthesiologist here is terrible at their job. <laughs> I think, honestly, anesthesiology is kind of a fucking guessing game. I think so, too. I don't think there's any... I don't want to say I don't think there's any science behind it, but I don't think there's any science behind it. You know, I just realized that that we need to be less confident in that. Just surely to God, somebody's listening, and that's their job. It, it's just like two knobs, and it's just like if you twist them, <laughs> twist them all one way, they're dead. But if just a little bit at a time, everything's cool, Bo. Not enough. Wake up mid-surgery. Panic attack. <laughs> and then if you're super lucky enough, you can be completely unresponsive, but fully fucking conscious. Do you think there's the, the two knobs is like, okay, this is like their, their conscious brain, and then this is like their motor function? You can't c- compute the brain like that. No. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean like chemical with stuff. You can't turn off certain parts of the brain. Okay. No. Because they just wouldn't fire back on. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are we even talking about? No. <laughs> he gets his arm grafted on. It looks exactly the same, but it's covered in scars. Covered in scars. Unnecessarily. So he's connected right at the top. Yeah. But there are slices, re-stitched slices, all the way down through his hand. I don't know why. Like, she was feeding wires through him almost, (laughs) and she needed to access different parts of his body, but you you just need to connect nerves at the top. What if it was a request from, like, him and his wife? Like, hey, Doc, you know, we're just gonna tell people I was in a really bad car accident. We're not gonna tell anybody I got a new arm. Could you maybe just, like, ugly it up so it really looks like I went through the windshield? The skin tones would be different. That's, okay, that is something they really should have done in this movie. Yeah, they didn't they, do that He should have had, like, a really, ta- or a really pale arm. This dude's been in jail. Did we say that it was a prisoner? Yeah, that we said the military men. It should be super pale, because he wouldn't have seen any sunlight, right? Or maybe it was just freckly. They should have done that. 
Oh, he's Freckles got one ginger least. arm? That's the evil arm right there, yeah, right? Yeah, the arm hairs could have been a different color. What if it was an albino? That wouldn't make a difference. Maybe they did do that, and because we watched it on shitty VHS, we couldn't tell. Oh. Well, that and Jeff A's wearing, like, a thousand turtlenecks in this movie. He is wearing a thousand turtlenecks. Can you imagine if he had a sleeveless turtleneck? <laughs> I thought the reveal at the end was going to be that he got the head transplant. And he oh, my God! And he wasn't what? dumb the whole time. Are you... Oh, my God! <laughs> and that it was what's-his-name's body. That would have been incredible. But, spoiler alert, that's not what happens. But the turtlenecks, don't, don't you think that they were sort of alluding to something? They did not. No, I think we were just paying too much attention to what he was wearing. <laughs> but they got bigger and bigger. At one point where he's, like, wrestling with his son, the turtleneck has completely unraveled, because I assume they were in, like, take seven. Mm -hmm. And the turtleneck is all the way up to his chin. It is turtleneck city. <laughs> there's, a, there's a foot of turtleneck. There is a foot of turtleneck. So he wakes up, arms working real good. We have a couple montages of him working out the arm. <laughs> and he's, um... Just getting ripped, you know. He's getting ready. He leaves the hospital. Life is grand. He's got two arms. His kids are like, ew. And he's like, it's okay. And then he starts having nightmares. And he keeps envisioning all these weird, dark things. <laughs> I think everybody knows pretty quickly, like, this is gonna be... Sinister arm. Yeah, visions, uh, memories that this arm keeps. Like, this arm was responsible for so many deaths. And the doctor's like, it's cool, everything's fine. And he's like, I don't know, I'm going to look into this. Actually, no, back at work one day, he's talking to one of those prisoners that I guess he's treating. Yeah, somebody he wants to cure, but kind of like talks to like he's an idiot. And they find out they have the same tattoo and you only oh. get them on death row. And he's never noticed this tattoo before. Yeah. So then he goes to his cop friend. Well, also, this guy freaks out. He's like, I don't want to fucking talk to you, man. I, know. I don't know what the fuck's going it on. It was really dramatic. That made no sense. It would have been better so if it was... you think they would have been bros? He would have been like, that's oh, man. That's what I... <laughs> <laughs> we would shop at the same store. I was thinking like the guy whose arm... Uh, who The guy who originally owned that arm. I thought... Oh, and they did a cool hand shake <laughs> right like, like that like muscle memory yes <laughs> So then he goes... You are writing a much better movie. I'm so sorry. Like, Thank the ending you. is incredible. That's genius. Because <laughs> to me, I, I would have, like... They had the similar gang tattoo, and he recognized the arm. Like, that was my buddy's arm. Oh, I don't want to talk to you. And then they're you. like the stonecutters. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, so, yeah. Finds a cop buddy. Fingerprints himself. And then this rudimentary computer tells us that he's murdered, like, 20 people. Yeah. Sorry, the hand. The hand. Uh, yeah. Belongs to a serial killer named Charlie Fletcher. So, his murder list is really insane because it's like murder, 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 arson, theft, whatever, murder. And then he's in jail There's and then he murders people. Yeah. I think he just murdered people in jail. It's just weird. Seems like this guy loves murdering. It's just weird. It's a long saga of murdering. Normally murdering either happens spree-wise or somebody's been a serial killer for a really long time and then you find out at the end and there's one big trial with a hundred different counts. Damn. Sorry. All the dates on those trials should be the same, shouldn't they? Unless oh, the trial dates. I thought those were like like when this actually happened. I, I honestly, I don't know. That computer only had like f enough room for four lines on the chart. <laughs> there isn't enough data. There's a sex scene as soon as he comes home with this new hand that is way really too uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Nice I, I don't know who's into the fact that his hand is from another person. His wife, apparently. Or, apparently both of them. Yeah, but they're holding like uncomfortable eye contact the entire time. And their bodies are not close to each other, so you know only the one hand. And just touching her. Oh man, it's weird. It's just, just the space and the eye contact gets me. If it was romantic and mm. they were like spooning and he put his arm around, but it's literally just they're facing each other and they're both on their own respective pillows. Yeah. And his hand just like goes under the blanket and over. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we're gonna bread loaf this? Okay. <laughs>
Yeah, they definitely haven't had sex since that youngest child was born, is my theory. And they were you full think all they pajama need to sets. Like... Full pajama set. You yeah. are not expecting to have sex at the end of the night if you're buttoning up a pajama set. And you're a dude. And you're a dude. Buttoned up, but like full collar pajamas. <laughs> yeah, like when when you start getting dressed for bed, it seems like there's just nothing there the anymore. The day is over. <laughs> yeah, like your your dick has reached its expiration date. <laughs> oh, should have had something else. Transplanted, badoom, ching. Yeah. So, doctor's no help. He knows his arm is evil. He finds out who the other donors are. Yeah. And he goes to one of them. It's... Brad Dorf. Who's the voice of Chucky. Yeah. Who doesn't sound like Chucky at all in this. And I was really disappointed. Oh, did you expect him to just sound like Chucky <laughs> and everything? I thought that was his normal voice. Wow. <laughs> but it wasn't. Okay. Uh, he's a painter who, since having received his new arm, is an awesome painter and paints all these macabre, dark paintings when yeah. previously he was only only painting boring, bland hotel room art. He's the greatest character in this movie. He's the most... The scene, maybe. The scene's great. Like, how many scenes Yeah, but he's have? like, he's like, no, I don't want to change the arm. Who cares if, it, if I see dark stuff? It's making me rich. And then he meets the other guy who had the leg transplant, who's a basketball player, and loves the legs at first, but then they start to do rogue things like pressing on the gas when they should be pressing on the brakes in his car. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're hanging out at the bar like old chums. That did, I didn't get, because the one guy, like, he doesn't want, the arm's not evil. Yeah, I, I didn't quite get that either. And then they're just hanging out, like, bro. <laughs> well, this is after his wife kicks him out, because... He strangles her and punches his kid in the face. Yeah, on two separate occasions, right? Yeah. And like... then he moves into a hotel, just him and his answering machine, <laughs> which he sets up. What's the message? I can't even remember. I have no idea. It's oh only like, my... hi, you've reached Dr. New Arm, and <laughs> I, I'm currently kicked out of my house, but I've made a new home No, but he says hotel. something like, I'm, I'm currently in limbo here at the whatever. And you... <laughs> so passive. Like, how can you mean passive-aggressive yeah, uh, voice I'm messages? sure your wife is calling to maybe give you updates of the kids at school or yeah. whatever, and you're just hey, like, Hey, I'm currently hey, in limbo I over here, yeah, Diane. I don't live at home right now because my wife's a huge bitch. <laughs> Beep! <laughs> I want a short film of him getting progressively more and more drunk throughout the night trying Just to record that the voice answering now. Yeah. Like, There's no mini fridge. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> what arm do I even pee with now? Beep. Does the hotel room have roaches if the roaches are dead? Beep. Okay. <laughs> So he's been kicked out of the house because he choked his wife, and he got into a bar fight with the guys. Oh yeah, so that bar scene led into a bar fight. <laughs> yeah, led into a bar fight, uh, and the only cop in town shows up to break up the fight, because <laughs> anytime we need the police, it is the same detective. By the way, when we first saw him, I thought he was just some private eye in some shit office. I didn't realize, like, he was a public servant. Kid with the legs is dead. I don't even remember how it happens. I think he just... He's... He calls him because his legs stop working. Remember, he comes home his from the grocery store working. after the bar fight, and he's like, Ugh. Yeah, who goes to the grocery <laughs> store after the bar? Somebody it's... who needs groceries. And his legs, like, collapse, but then he's calling Bill to be like, I don't know, man, I gotta go to the hospital or whatever. And then he, and Bill hears a tussle over the phone, yeah. and he rushes to the guy's apartment, and boom, he's out the window, and he's dead, and his legs are missing. <laughs> that's, no, that is, that's Brad Dorff. Because while they're there, he's like, oh my god, we gotta go help my painter friend. And, and boom, he's out the window, and his arms boom, are 
movie's out the fucking window. That is a great fucking scene, and I don't care about anything else in this movie. Brad Dorf is hanging from the window, and this motherfucker puts his foot on Brad Dorf and pulls his goddamn arm off. And this motherfucker is some <laughs> new guy who's wearing bandages all over his head, and there's a big, like, <gasps> reveal, but we're like, we haven't seen him before. Right? So two things happen here. <laughs> One, when that kid's legs stopped working, was he commanding the legs? Was he just like, okay, and freeze. Maybe. But you're paralyzed now. Like you belong to me, obey my voice. <laughs> like a magician. Yeah. Why the fuck isn't Jeff Fahey the bad guy? We said we spend so much time setting up that he's got this new darkness that he's got to live with, and it's affecting his personal life. Why can't he be the one that's killing people? Even if he's sleepwalking while it's, while it's happening. I don't care. I don't know. So, this masked guy, or I'm saying masked, but he's in bandages, is the serial killer Charlie Fletcher. That they all got their body parts from. And he's driving in his car with his new legs, <laughs> with his old legs, and his arm that he's stolen from these other donor people. Seat. And he pulls up alongside Bill and the cop and handcuffs their hands together. <laughs> and guess... then there's the best, most surprisingly and sudden car chase I have ever seen, and it is my favorite thing about this movie, and you can't take it away from me because it's so damned great. It is crazy. Great idea. When he handcuffs their hands together and the two separate cars you're like holy fuck he's getting the arm but then they drive in tandem for like six minutes this would have been done he so should, fast he should be trying really hard to go through dividers and turn in different directions but they turn down different lanes and exit ramps and stuff together yeah when they finally do get to that divided highway spot and there is no choice he's gonna lose his fucking arm Jeff he uh, brilliantly pulls out the cop's gun shoots the handcuff I don't know why he did. I can understand not shooting that guy in the face that's probably the smart move because then you definitely lose your arm. Before that, though, there were multiple opportunities for him to just hop in what's-his-name's car. And I know it's up in the air, but at least you're not going to lose your arm immediately. <laughs> to hop in that car, though, he's He gonna... was halfway in the car in some of those scenes. He was already <laughs> in the car. I suppose that's true. Like, what's 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 a few more feet? But then you'd just be in his lap. Like, because you're handcuffed to him, and you're not going to, like, crawl across the seat, right? You're just like, oh, hello You can there. figure it out when you're not suddenly going to die. <laughs> So that guy speeds off, and it's just the detective and Bill in the underpass. And the detective gets out with his gun, and he's going to shoot him. And then Bill just steals his car and chases off after him. And you assume he's chasing him, but no. He no. pulls to the side of the road and starts writing a journal to yeah. his wife. This is my final journal entry. Like, you've been keeping a journal? <laughs> First page of the journal and he's he's like leaving it for his wife and then he puts it in an unmarked envelope and puts it in a mailbox yeah and there's no stamp there's no, no address on nope. it nope nope in fact, if you really pay attention when he licks it and tries to close it, because they've probably done this scene so many times, there's no adhesion left in it either. It just flops open and he drops it in the Why box. Why didn't he record with his tape recorder? Yeah, that would have made a lot they more sense. They set that up at the beginning. Yeah, he seems to be a tape recorder man. But he writes in his... So he stole a police officer's car to turn down some residential street and write a letter to his wife. Doesn't make sense. Because this guy crashes, like, a few hundred meters away. Had he have just gone down the street and hung a left, that motherfucker would still be... I don't know why oh, I keep referring to him as the motherfucker, that's, but that's his name. That scene, though, where he's walking away from the car and he's carting all of his body parts that's the is... Best. Fucking awesome. Yeah, imagine a cool guy's don't look like an explosion scene, but underneath each arm is like two legs and another arm. 
Oh, it's great. <laughs> and his face is in bandages and the car's on fire in the background. It was awesome. They're not even convincing bandages, right? He just looks like he has a bad toothache, like a cartoon toothache. It does look like a cartoon toothache. But, uh, you know, we learn soon enough, and uh, to be perfectly honest, I think most of the audience has figured out this is Charlie Fletcher. Again, I know. But not what been body is yet. he on? I don't know. And should we not have seen him more? Maybe they should have showed on his face during the surgery a little bit better because when we finally saw him in Brad Dorff's apartment, I was like, who's this guy? You know what they should have had? Just a quick scene right before he kills somebody where he pulls out his arm. We see on his wrist, no tattoo, but in black pen, he writes striker like he used to have on his arm. Ooh. Then we would immediately know who this guy is, right? And like we could still do like POV shots. And... So we end up at the hospital for the final showdown. Bill shows up with the cop car. I don't know why he goes to the hospital. I don't really know why he I goes to the hospital knows. either. He figures it out. He just knows. Maybe the arm is calling to him. or. But then we find out that Dr. Webb has been in it all along for some reason. Yeah, they, they meet him, fully prepped for surgery. Like, hello, Bill. We're ready to take that arm now if you still don't want it. And there's a whole bunch of animated body parts in the background. Like yeah. a torso. Yeah, the with torso. With a pee bag. Oh, that pee bag's full. And they're all just jiggling in the background. Well, to show that they're still alive. Waiting for a host. I assume they're trying to reanimate Charlie. Yeah, as but like a Frankenstein. We're given no reason why. Nope. We don't know who the doctor is. John and I assumed that she was his mother. I think a lot of people online assume it was his mother. There's no... She doesn't even have a big monologue at the end as to why she's doing it. Maybe that's And why. also why the body parts needed to be on people anyways. Because she's obviously able to animate them on their own. They're in a cabinet in the back of the room. So why do they need donors? Like, what? She could have gotten away with just one experimental donor taking one limb. Oh, you know why? This is how it works. I get it. This is... Ah, Wouldn't this... it have been easier to just break Charlie out of the hospital before they executed That's him? That's what I'm saying. This is the most complicated breaking out of prison story. Because dying does not kill you. They broke him out of the hospital in parts? Yes! Oh. It's like stealing a car one piece at a time from the factory, right? It totally works. That's what they're doing. They need to go back and get his body parts and attach them so he can live again. That's genius. But I don't think... Tearing somebody's arm off and then running across town to get it surgically put back on is gonna work. I don't think so either. I don't think you could cut off your own arm. It wasn't it in a an fire. Ice bag. You, you like, uh, whatever. This is a universe where that kind of surgery exists and works. That's true. We just gotta believe it. So, Bill saves the day by grabbing a shotgun, <laughs> and he just shoots. Blasting some holes through he the He shoots torso. everybody. Yeah, he shoots Including everybody. the torso. <laughs> Just to make damn hell sure it's not coming back. Could have just unplugged it, right? Like, could have just immediately unplugged it from the wall. It would have gone. Oh, man, that would have been great. Like, I guess I just assumed... But on just body parts. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, the breather thing just goes... For one last time. Yeah, it works. Yeah. This had the potential to be an incredible update. What are you talking about? It is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Final scene. I just want to get to it. He's... Writing another friggin' journal entry against a tree and his wife's there. And he's just... I wrote down part of the speech for you, John. Oh, fantastic. Because it's fucking absurd. It's all over the place. Where does evil live? Does it live in the flesh? If a tree falls in the forest <laughs> and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Oh, what man. Is, what is his diatribe even? And she's like, oh, you're planning on publishing that in like the John Hopkins Medical Journal or something? And... 
They would never publish this shit. And he's just like, ever. the arm's not evil anymore, and I want it fair and square, It's Doc. mine now, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you, you, you're gonna keep that in there? And they end on such a weird note, because he kind of, like, sasses her. Yeah. And then the credits just silently roll over them sitting there, also in a weird aspect ratio. And it's uncomfortable, because you're like, is he still supposed to be evil, and we're supposed to get that because he was mean to his wife? I, I think so. I think a part of Chuck still lives in him, is the idea. The whole movie is like the handle of the axe theory. Which yeah, exactly. So if you... The fact that he kills what's-his-name's head and now the arm just belongs to him now, I just don't get it. And also, he didn't cure evil at all. He just killed it. The theme set up in he the beginning He just wants to movie, save one person, Kim. It was himself! <laughs> he saved himself! And he didn't even do a good job because he's a piece of shit by the end of the movie, right? Oh, man. I just, I just want to kill one person and get away with it. That would have been better to open the film with that. Like, honey, I don't know how to explain this to you, but I'm in the prison all day and I just, I, I just want to kill one person without having to go to jail. I've had lived with this in my entire life and I can't do it. I love you and the kids too much. I, I won't do that to you, but I need this. <laughs> like that, that would have been a weird movie. One missed opportunity in this movie before we go. He totally should have punched that guy in the face. Whether it like knocks his, the bad guy, the big baddie, Chuck, whatever his name uh, is. Lester. Oh, with his own arm? Yeah, he should have punched it with his own arm. I don't care whether... Oh, he, he could have just been like, it's my arm now, Chuck. No, not even. Like, he could have pulled back and said, need a hand, and then just bam! Boom! Knocked his head off his shoulders. That would have been great. Yeah, but they should have cast Jean-Claude Van Damme in the role. So, you're rating on the film... I haven't even thought about rating this movie. I already rated this movie on Letterboxd. Oh, did you? <laughs> First I rated it, and then I was like, oh no, that's too low, and I raised it up, and then when I woke up the next morning, I dropped it back down. <laughs> I had a really hard time. I thoroughly enjoyed this film, but it's awful. So I'll go first. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 4. Yeah. I can't not give it a 2 out of 4. 1.5 is so low. Because I think anything below 2 is just like, guys, what the fuck were you doing? Like, everybody tried in this movie. They did a great job. Oh, no, this movie was terrible. But it was so... <laughs> watchable yeah and enjoyable and i had so much fun trying to decipher the decisions made and the directions the plot took i loved it it's an it's a nonsense thriller <laughs> enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at bet mgm sign up using code champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with bet mgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with bet mgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever remember to use code champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
And moving on, let's talk about David Cronenberg's Rabbit. All around her, people are dying, and only Rose knows why. You gotta come quick. You gotta come quick and get me. It's Rose. It's gotta be. Something's happened to Rose. You can't trust your mother. Your best friend. The neighbor next door. One minute, they're perfectly normal. The next, rabid. Pray it doesn't happen to you. Rabid. From 1977, currently sitting at a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So a lot like body parts, Rabbit starts with Rose and Hart. They're on, I guess, a cross-Canada motorcycle trip? I don't know. I think they're just on a motorcycle. <laughs> All right, they're just spending the weekend on a motorcycle. They get into a huge accident. Luckily, it's just across the street from a plastic surgery resort, and they rush her in for emergency surgery. Because the closest competent hospital is three hours away. He said competent, right? Or no, he said the closest serious hospital. Yeah, and so this plastic surgery resort is strange. They have an ambulance, a weird-looking green ambulance, and then two patients who discover the car accident across the lane or whatever. And they're present for when they bring in, I guess, the new patients. Well, I don't think they're supposed to be bringing people into emergency, right? I know, but it's just so awkward. They're just standing there on camera. Is that woman in distress? Are they taking in for surgery? They could have at least put a put a sheet over her or something. That's a direct quote. But yeah, so she needs to be rushed into emergency surgery because she's got serious burns and injuries. Hart's cool though. He's only got a broken arm. (laughs) Yeah, he's totally fine. Well, she got pinned underneath the motorcycle, right? And then it exploded. I, I don't really think that skin grafts are emergency surgery. I think you can kinda get a skin graft done. After. Yeah, because skin grafts right? are done by a plastic surgeon yeah. after the major surgery is done. You know, like stop internal bleeding and. Which they do none of. <laughs> I guess we just assume they do it. Like, yeah, that's the boring stuff. Let's get to the cool shit. <laughs> get to the fun shit where we talk about skin grafts and medical terminology because we researched it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know if they did. Either that they or did. Th- the, the stuff was correct, but was it, it was. It was unnecessary for us to... Well, no, like, the, the the pseudoscience behind it is not correct, but they used the right terminology. Okay, got it. Okay, so if I if I remember correctly, it's that they are doing an experimental skin graft with skin from her thigh, because thigh skin is neutral skin and can be used anywhere and will become cheek skin, as though there is a difference between skins. No. No? I swear no, that's what you No, no, there oh, isn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's just skin. Uh, yeah. Skin ex- cells are skin cells. Kind of not. the same as like fat cells are fat cells and why women are having fat injected into their butts from other areas of their body. It's all cells. Exactly. <laughs> there is something really interesting about David Cronenberg's clinical gore in the sense that with a slasher you might see a wound and then you'd see a weapon and there'd be chaos. 
in his movies, there is a wound that we are definitely seeing and the instrument is being put down and it's bloodied, but it's still medical. It's just on top of a clean sheet in a sterile room instead of in the woods or in, a, in a, an abandoned apartment or something. And I don't know, it's on paper, beat for beat. It's exactly the same as a horror movie that you would see at a grindhouse theater, but because it has a completely different score and a different setting, it's suddenly not as grotesque. I think he's really interested in that the dichotomy between the two of those, right? Yeah, I, and I honestly, I think he just has a clinical fascination, I think so and too. That, like his his stuff, I would classify as medical sci-fi in almost a hundred percent of the cases. <laughs> yeah, it, at least for like the eighties, it's all body involving, and this movie is weird. Yeah, like, there's also no real reason for the movie to take place largely at this plastic surgery resort. I think he just loves the idea of people constantly going in and out to fix their nose three times in a row yeah, until it looks that's right. that's got a really interesting universe about it, but you don't get to see a whole lot of it. I thought the film was going to take place entirely at this facility because it's very isolated, but a month later, we find out Rose is in a coma and she secretly wakes up from it, from it but she keeps sneaking out, so she kills, well, not kills, she sucks uh, the courts, blood. Courts. She courts one of the, the night guard or one is of the patients. He, I think he's one of the patients, or, yeah. He was at a desk at night I assumed he was the night guard. Maybe they're not allowed to smoke in your room? Like, he got out of his room just know. to go smoke at the desk? It was weird. So, we didn't mention that the lead in this is, like, an iconic porn star. She's iconic? I think so. All right. What else? What is she in? Porn from the 70s. List off some titles that I'd know. Come on. I don't know. Backdoor broads. Right. <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> well, I didn't make it up. I'm sure it exists. But So, she's naked a lot of this movie. Needlessly, yeah. She wakes up from her coma, she's naked in her bed, and then she's like, I'm cold! And then the guy's like, this is weird. And then he starts bleeding from the armpit. He's like, hey baby, you, you, you got a knife in there? What's going on? <laughs> but he still doesn't want to stop hugging her? <laughs> I think he's pinned. Oh, I think so too. So we don't necessarily know what's going on, we just know that something's up with Rose. I think this is the only scene in the movie where it makes sense that she's naked, simply because that's why he gets close. And then there are like eight more scenes though where she's just in a closet picking out her outfit for the day and she's completely <laughs> topless. And there's a few of those. There are a few. She leaves at one point and we assume to escape the hospital. Like she's woken up, maybe she doesn't know where she is and she's frightened, so she takes off. No, she's just going to a barn. To eat a cow. To eat a cow. And then also... A the... farmer. Oh no! She doesn't even eat the farmer. No, she drinks the farmer. No, she doesn't. He's like, oh hey baby, you thirsty i got something for you to drink like he's getting all nasty obviously he's gonna rape her in the barn right but instead of incapacitating him and drinking his blood she just pulls her poker out. i mean like none of this is like directly on screen we're just supposed to get it the poker comes out and she jams his eyeball into it like a knife oh yeah you're right and then takes off that thing in her armpit is kind of disgusting yeah and I don't quite understand the metaphor behind it because it's definitely phallic. I'm going to say phallic. Sure. <laughs> and it's got a needle on the end of it and it comes out of like a butthole. Do you think that this movie, whether he knew it or not, is David Cronenberg writing about his relationships? And it's like, seems like every time I fucking sleep with somebody, they just go crazy. <laughs> What? Okay, oh, well, no, so... I think it's an interesting choice that they cast a porn star in the lead, and it's about a woman injuring and causing this riot with something phallic. And especially for it coming out in the 70s, like, the context I get is that the, I don't know, the uprising of women is, 
women wearing pants in the world is like ruining hmm. or society can't handle it. It's creating hysteria. Yeah, because it turns into this almost zombie movie and it felt very soylent greeny at the end. Well, yeah, definitely because they've got dumpster trucks picking up people and bodies off the street to just take away. But the whole time I was trying to catch the metaphor because the movie is very slow and it's a little repetitive to be honest. There's a lot of scenes of her, yeah, injuring people. She escapes. She hitchhikes with a truck driver. She tries to eat a burger. She realizes she can't eat a burger, so she eats the truck driver. And then <laughs> she goes to her friend's slash sister's house. But at this point, when she's staying with her friend in Montreal, everybody that she's infecting has... Everybody that she's drinking from is now infected with some sort of crazy form of rabies. And they're infecting other people, and they're infecting three more people, and it's just become an epidemic. And the city is under quarantine. Yeah, they basically go from it's isolated to this plastic surgeon office to it's martial law now. <laughs> right? Yeah, and they, in fact, they say that. Like, the prime minister doesn't have anything to say about the incident, but we are under martial law now. <laughs> you don't have anything to say, but you're willing to say the military is controlling the city now? <laughs> That's weird. Okay, but that puts a real damper on her trying to go get groceries, in quotations, because every time she tries to drink some dude at the mall, all of a sudden, people are getting shot, there's chaos, Santa's dead. (laughs) She goes to a smutty cinema and there's this really long scene about how cool she is in the cinema with this creepy guy, and then she drinks him and we're like, yeah, been there, done that. (laughs) You get it, she's a porn star. And then, finally, her friend is like, you can't leave, everybody out there is infected and crazy and evil so she has no choice but to eat her friend unfortunately and, then... and that's right when heart breaks in who's been running after her the entire movie but really ineffectively for no reason it's like hey uh she's recovering from surgery she called me she sounded panicked and now i can't find her but despite the fact that the apocalypse is going on he's gonna keep hunting this girl down yeah and he ends up back in the city where i guess she is and we find out just how bad things have gotten that's when we find out about the trucks and there's like sharpshooters on them and they basically shoot at anybody who's infected. Oh yeah, and you need to, everybody needs to have their vaccine and... Their vaccine card. Now, yeah, right, you gotta show your papers. <laughs> and there's a bit of a scuffle between them. I actually thought that he was dead when she left him. I thought he was dead too. He took a bad tumble she down those She basically pushes him and... down the stairs. And then she kisses him on the head and then grabs another dude and locks herself in a room with him. And... But calls him. Yeah, and so this is film logic here. He wakes up from being passed out in the stairwell, goes to the friend's apartment, and picks up the phone that's ringing. She's just assuming that he's going to wake up and then go back in the apartment. If I were him, I would have run down the stairs, not up them. Looking for her, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know we watched this movie yesterday, but I'm pretty sure what happens in that conversation is, I've been thinking a lot about what you said, and yes, this is all my fault, and things would be better without me. Is that one of those conversations? No! She doesn't believe that she's patient zero. So she bites this guy she meets in the lobby and then locks herself in one of the apartments with him to prove that he's not going to turn into one of those rabid things and that she's perfectly fine. But while she's on the phone with him, this guy turns rabid and then he eats her because she's patient zero. But the cool thing is she doesn't go rabid and she's dead at the end and the dumpster just picks her up and dumps her in the back of it. And she could be immune. 
she could be... Well, Akira would lie with her, but exactly. she gets picked up like anybody else. But she never went rabid. I think my brain just left so my head. So if we just trusted the women to wear the pants, <laughs> society would go back to normal. I guess I stopped paying attention, because at some point I clued in when, you know, Christopher Walken, not Christopher Walken. Oh, he is not Christopher Walken, he... but he is Christopher Walken. Yeah, no, David Cronenberg has a type. Uh, he's, like, screaming into the phone, like, it's suicide! You're committing suicide! Like, I really thought that, that she was doing scene it herself. is the most emotion we saw from him the entire film. <laughs> Not her. She was just as stiff as a board. Yeah, her acting was... You could see her being coached off camera because there were scenes where she was, like, really sad and she was really afraid. And then, other and then she had she these really robot. weird eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and they were really open and they were reacting to things like somebody falling down the stairs and the, the emotion should have been horror, but it was like, watching. I am watching this. <laughs> she might have been looking at cue cards for all we know. I don't know. She's... She is an interesting woman. <laughs> in terms of ideas for the movie and, like, what's inspiring it, I think there's a scene at the beginning where they're talking about surgery and wounds. The way you would maybe hear, like, your relatives talk about around a dinner table, like, oh, yeah, you know, ever since I broke my shoulder, like, it always hurts right before it rains. Stuff like that. Like, oh, it's just something you're going to have to get used to. I think that's where the movie's coming from. I went into surgery and now I hurt every time X happens. Yeah. He's trying to show a more extreme version of that. Well, and I thought it was going to be too something about the dangers of elective surgery, but her surgery isn't elective at all. That's She's the other kind weird of thing, been right? under the wing of a crazy doctor. Maybe that's the thing, right? It's it's the doctors. It's not necessarily the people who want the surgery. Of course you want a new nose. Everybody wants a better nose, but you can't let these doctors just do whatever they want because at one point they'll go too far. Yeah. One scene I really wanted to talk about that we kind of blazed on through, before she escapes the plastic surgery clinic, she goes into the whirlpool room, okay. and there's a woman there, and she's trying to, like, seduce her in the way that only Marilyn Chambers can, and she eats this woman, and then she disappears. She escapes the thing. She goes on her hitchhiking trip. When the cops are involved at the end, and Hart finally makes it back to the facility, he's like, did you see a young girl? And the cop's like, oh, yeah, we got one downstairs. And he's like, well, what's her name? Did you, did you get her name? He's like, didn't get her name, though. No, didn't get her name. And then there's this big shocking reveal scene where he opens up a freezer and there's that woman frozen <laughs> like an ice cube. And Hart is just like, what? Yeah, he's like, this is the girl? And you're like, no! <laughs> Why did you show this to me? What kind of cop just... What? Why would you... Uh... His delivery, too, is, is great. Like, he looks like he's tired. He's got his hand on the wall. And it's like he only comes to life when this guy comes in the room like, yeah, what do you want, man? <laughs> yeah, sure, I could show you this girl downstairs. Let's fucking do it. Oh, man. He was a weirdo. Yeah. That was my favorite scene, though. That was completely out of line. <laughs> so that's part of what I think was informing the, the horror part of it. But I also think the end half of the movie where we, we become, like, the crazies and there's this sort of government paranoia that's coming around, like, the FLQ crisis. Do you remember that? Mm -mm. For anybody outside of Canada, a extremist group was kidnapping and murdering politicians. And Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's dad, declared martial law and the military took over. In Canada? In Canada? How do you not know about this? <laughs> I don't know. It was insane. Yeah. Was I alive for this? No. Well, then. <laughs> guess neither, I don't care. Neither was I, but I went to history class in high school. Mm. <laughs> I actually didn't. Either way. Um, <laughs> yeah, what you see in this movie is kind of what already happened in Montreal and Quebec already, to a degree. I mean, like, we weren't shooting people in the streets and stuff, but people were really scared for a while. So I think that's probably what he's tapping into, at least a little bit, in this movie. Do you think that French people were really going to appreciate and watch this movie, though? Because there's only one 
one person with a French accent in the entire movie. I didn't realize it was in Montreal until somebody said it halfway through the movie. It seems like the entire movie takes place within the French-speaking areas of Canada, and no one speaks French, yeah. Yeah, and especially rural Quebec is not English-speaking. Not at all. And they're in rural Quebec for a very long time. La vache? Is vache cow? Yeah, okay, I'm not sure. Or that's milk. No, no that's lay. My mistake. So the lay of the vache. Oh, this has been your French lesson from a village idiot. But yeah, things about this movie, it was definitely one of his early works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is... Oh, we didn't talk about Hart had a companion the entire film who the neither of us could not could figure out what he actually did. We think he worked for the facility. I thought he was one of the doctors But I don't know. And Now he, I think he's a business partner? Or he's a friend a of Hart's? A very vague business partner? He is also a friend of Hart's. That's the other weird because thing. Because he's riding around with Hart almost the entire movie and this guy's got a baby and when he finally goes back home, his wife is like eating the baby and oh, then eats him. <laughs> it's totally great. Like we don't see any of that, but there's this little change table that you can also like bathe. a bathing table. Yeah, and, and it's, it's got a little hose. Oh, it's great, right? I wanted to see that baby be rabbit though. Well, so did I, but I don't think they had the budget, Kim. Yeah, well, they did have quite a few car crashes though. They could have saved a car and bought a baby puppet. This was an ambitious project. You're right. Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to say. There's a part in the movie where you can see the cameraman. <laughs> Yes, yes, like there is. Like, for about 35 to 40 seconds. There's a rabid dude just, like, spraying a bunch of rabid juice and saliva all over Hart's windshield, and then they just, they shoot him off and <laughs> delouse the car, and they're like, all right, you're good to go. But in the back seat is a full-out cameraman yeah. with a camera. Yeah. They only had enough time, I guess, or resources to do one two-camera take. They had a camera outside the car and a camera inside the car, and they didn't redo any of the shots with the camera guy inside the car, outside the car. No, we gotta go. We're losing light, guys. <laughs> it was nighttime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. I think it's a 28 Days Later situation. They only had enough street time to do those shots. They're like, well, we're fucked. Plus, this is an era of... Of dailies, right? They probably only had the one day to shoot in there. They got the dailies back from the processing facility, and they're like, fuck, he's in the back seat. Like, well, hopefully nobody sees it, because we can literally afford nothing else. Yeah, and they're like, well, hopefully all the goo on the windows will obstruct it. And then 20 years later, we're like, HD DVD! <laughs> like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this movie, I will say, had a more coherent and deeper plot oh, than yeah. the first film. I have no idea what the first film was trying to tell me. It was just entertaining. Nope. Yep. This one was kind of slow. I could have used some entertaining moments. But I thought the use of a porn star as your leading lady was very progressive, especially giving her a penis in her armpit. Yep. Uh, I don't know what he was trying to tell me about that, but I feel like it was a progressive choice, except for the fact that she gets dressed several times in this movie. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure out what it all means. I'm still trying to unpack the, the undertones of this. Do you know what it means? Is it supposed to mean anything, or is it just supposed to be shocking that she's got this weird thing in her armpit? It has to be a message on something. I'm going to stick with the fact that it's about women in society taking men's jobs and taking men's positions and getting equal rights and it being a a push on society. Yeah, I don't know if I see any of that in the movie. Oh, well, I, it's a metaphor. It's yeah. It's society turning into, like, rabid animals. Yeah, I think it might just be more about the dangers of tampering with the human body and the human genome. 
well before it's time. Yeah, but then shouldn't it have just happened to one of the patients at the facility? Like, the fact that it happens to somebody who's not electing to do it mm. makes me think that it's it's a bigger commentary and it's not about surgery or body horror or that's, that's just point. the venue to tell the story. If it was one of those older couples and it was her sixth ear surgery and then all of a sudden she gets something growing out of her ear, that would make sense to me that it's about not loving what God gave you kind of thing and science advancing too far and we shouldn't touch the things that don't need to be touched but this i think is just gotta be a commentary <laughs> i'm not sure definitely a young filmmaker so probably yeah <laughs> probably but uh so what's your rating my, my rating unfortunately is probably closer to like a 1.5 i'm also gonna go with a 1.5 yeah it felt very long it does it's an older movie yeah though. you know like i would love to see david cronenberg from 1986 remake that movie yeah I think it was just too much for him to tackle at the time, but it just felt a little repetitive. We learned we learned about the stinger and then we watched her kind of seduce these creepy guys over and over and over again while we were telling this bigger story about this epidemic. And I, I felt it either needed to be an isolated movie where she was like a slasher villain in this plastic surgery facility. Yep. Or we went to the epidemic after she started it. I, I would also uh, have liked to see it a little more contained. We could still have that epidemic because it's it's just a resort. If somebody gets really sick, they have to go to the hospital, which does happen in this. And, you know, maybe instead, the end of the movie, we see, like, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He gets onto an, an airplane, and he goes to a different country, and now it's going fucking worldwide. There you go. Now it's a series. You got your movie inciting a series, and it becomes The Walking Dead, and then there's several hundred seasons of it. See? There's the problem in the late 70s. You guys weren't thinking about franchise <laughs> opportunities. And also, where's the toy tie how in can this? You, yeah, I was like, how can you merchandise a fat like Nobody's gonna buy a Barbie where if you raise its arm, a dick comes out. That's great! <laughs> <laughs> no, even better, it's Pez. You lift the arm and oh the Pez God. candy comes out. Yes. That's it. And it's got like a sharp on it. <laughs> it puts out Pez, but they only come in the shapes of knives. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and the doll doesn't come with a shirt. <laughs> yeah, the, the shirt can be made uh, if you borrow it from another Barbie. Well... <laughs> Sounds like Body Parts wins, even though it wasn't a better movie. How did that happen, right? <laughs> uh, but we want to hear your opinions. Hopefully you caught both these movies. Head on over to our Twitter page, at NOFS Podcast, and vote on our poll whether you liked Body Parts or Rabid more. Also, before we go, I have a quick little game that I've put together regarding body horror and real-life body horror. We're going to be posting it on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. If you'd like to hear that game or check out all the other bonus content available to you as a patron of this podcast, head to www.patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive just long enough to tell the tale of the Nightmare on Film Street. Ah! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.